You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Hey everyone, welcome to Twibbly. This is Jeff McLarge-Huge, the co-host of the show, letting you know that you're about to listen to a best-of episode where Bill, in his infinite skill set, has pulled together some of the best clips to make an episode for you. This is because I'm still recovering from some hospital time, and we're making a little hiatus through the summer so that I can recover. We should return with regular episodes beginning August 7th, and uh, until then... July 17th, 1842. <laughs> one of our favorites, one of my favorite stories here. You know how we love our cryptoids over here. We do. Uh, so yes. pictures of mermaids appear in the New York newspapers. They were oh. yep, they were part of an elaborate hoax uh, orchestrated by your friend of mine PT Barnum in order to draw our ah. attention to his museum. So this must be that ridiculous, the ri- pictures of the ridiculous Fiji mermaid. Yes, yeah. Yes, the little, um, what is like, looks like a capuchin monkey sewn to like what looks like a largemouth bass body. I don't yeah, even think no, the no. monkey part was actually real. It was real. I think it was like a sculpture. Although right here in my article it says it was composed of a monkey's head attached to a fish body. It was probably created yeah. in the early 1800s, yeah. I went to the International Cryptozoology Museum. That's in Maine, Never right? Get that ten dollars back, yeah. And they have the two, one or two Fiji mermaids, the original one there, in a glass case. It looks like something that a really deranged kid would put together, like after they've been left at summer camp for too long. It is the least realistic thing I imagine. They must have like Vaseline the shit out of the lens to take the pictures of it to send it to the newspapers because it does not look like a thing that anyone would believe. We're like thankfully a lot more cynical now, for better or for worse. Right. But in 1842, like, everybody fell for this. This guy, he raked in so much money with this. Well, he also kept it away from, like, I'm sure he showed it as, like, it's 30 feet away on a stage, and there's, like, pictures of it that are drawn. Right. And he has somebody who's, you know, dressed up like a, a naturalist who's like, my name is Phineas J. Naturalist, and I'm here to talk about the Fiji mermaid that we found on the coast of Fiji. <laughs> and it's, like, literally the thing's, like, 13 inches long, and it's really far away, so you can't tell. That it's a mummified capuchin monkey stuck to a fish. Because <laughs> like, I've seen pictures of the actual Fiji mermaid. I'm looking at one right now. And I'm like, this wouldn't fool a fifth grader. If you turn that in an art class, you'd get an F. <laughs> an F for Fiji mermaid. July 18th, the most amazing day in the entire history of the world. It is National Sour Candy Day. Yes! <laughs> that begs the question, Bill. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite sour candy? To, to be honest, I'm not a huge sour candy fan. My friend Bob just like lives and dies by it. I I, I like sour sour gummy beers, like the Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, yeah, Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, I like those a lot. I will debate you on the benefits of sour candy. I think sour candies can be really good, mm-hmm. but I have to be in the right like 
play like a, a cinema like that. I'm sour catch pot sour patch kids all day, but I don't go out of my way to get them. Yeah, I don't dislike them. I just don't reach for them either. I'm I'm right. I absolutely love gummy bears. Gummy bears are my favorite candy like ever because I don't know. It's just horse hooves just have this, that deliciousness that I like so much. <laughs> they just gallop down your throat. Yeah. But yeah, but sour candy, I, I do like it. There was like those extreme ones. What were those? The the they were like sour balls, but they were like yeah. So yeah, I can't remember the name of them. Like warheads, right? Wasn't that oh, what they were called? Yeah, yeah. Oh, with, yeah. With, with warheads or airheads or something like that. Uh, airheads, airheads were were sour taffy. Okay, that's what it was. And yeah. warheads were the were the hard candies, and they they were super popular for like I don't know. I was like I don't know, I want to say I was around nineteen or twenty years old. They were they were super duper popular, and that's where you could get. Start getting gummy gummy worms that are sour and right. gummy bears that are sour. And I think other stuff. you might want to go even back a little younger than that because I just I remember being a kid when they had like the extreme, <laughs> like uh, atomic fireballs, right? Remember? Well, that's see what I'm thinking. Is, yeah, as a kid, I'm thinking like hot hot cinnamon candy yeah. is what I remember. But like atomic fireballs, like when you were a kid, it's like yeah, I could do an atomic fireball. You know, you could be, like it was like some sort of a challenge, and they're hot, but they're not like stupid hot. You know? Yeah. It's not going to put you off the whole day, yeah. Yeah, it's not like a chocolate-covered ghost pepper or something insane <laughs> like that, you know. Hey, kids, you want to die? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, like, now, like, in Japan, they have, like, the ghost pepper gummy bears. Yeah, you know what? I'm perfectly happy with the size of my manhood and don't feel like I have to prove it by not crying and falling <laughs> into a puddle of fire if I eat a goddamn candy. And torture candy. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. Who wants to eat something that is unpleasant? Yeah, here you go. What's, like, what? Do you, why would you even have that? That shouldn't even be a thing. Why would you eat? Like, what? what is that? Why would you do that? All right. Uh, moving on to July the 19th. July the 19th, 1961. Your, oh, speaking of airplanes, your friends and mine over at TWA offer the first in-flight movie. Oh, I, I wonder what it was. Uh, that movie was a movie called By Love Possessed, which sounds like a sizzler. <laughs> Oh boy. I wonder if the movie was so bad. Like, what do you do? You're trapped on that plane. There's no escape. Yeah. You have to watch that thing all the way to the end. Did you ever fly on a plane that, that did before they had the TV seat back screens? No, 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 no. No, I I, I've never been. No, you did? I never had it like with like the pull down screen and you have like the earphones. Yep. The first couple of times what, I went back and, back and forth overseas to England. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Film, I saw a house guest with Goldie Hawn and Steve Martin. Oh, geez. And, uh, yeah, it was not the greatest of films. And some other, like, I don't know, maybe it was like a Merchant and Ivory film or something the other time. And it was, bo- it, both times it was like, it, it just made the flight longer and more irritating. Yeah, um, that, that sounds like they just want you to go to sleep, right? Now there's, like, tons of choice. The last time I flew, when I went to Las Vegas, I watched the horrible, most recent remake of The Magnificent Seven. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of our good friend Wrong Way there, uh, whenever I went to Las Vegas the last time when we were flying home, this woman that was sitting next to me, they had given her the wrong flight. She goes, yeah, this morning I woke up. I was in Egypt. Then they put me on an airplane. I was supposed to be in New York City. And as we're landing in New York City, I said, wow, 
New York City looks a hell of a lot like Las Vegas does. <laughs> yeah, they booked her on the wrong flight. Yeah, she goes, yeah, I haven't, I, I haven't been in like really asleep in like 48 hours. She was sitting next to me. I fell asleep, but she was watching The Avengers, the first one, on the, on the back of her right. seat. Yeah. Entertainment options have become much better than trying not to die of smoke inhalation and or listening to children scream and cry, which are two things that I've done on airplanes. Yeah, now now you have the option of watching people that watch way too many uh, conspiracy theory YouTube channels freak out or watching a, a guy getting his clock cleaned by Mike Tyson. Options are limitless. I think of that as like theater, yeah. you know, especially the Mike Tyson one. It's like, oh, it's the Mike Tyson show. It's like, they're doing it live right here. <laughs> Usually to get this close to ringside, you got to pay <laughs> through the wazoo for tickets like this. All right. What do we got for July the 20th? July the 20th, 1989, a photographer named Robert Mablethorpe. Oh, is, uh, Jesus is... Christ. <laughs> Robert Mablethorpe's show opens at the Washington, D.C.'s Project for the Arts after it's booted by the Smithsonian Institution's Corcoran Gallery because of the tremendous burst of fury that his portfolio has generated in the, uh, let's the what's a good way to describe it that is neither negative nor political, the less sexually liberated of Washington, D.C., realize what his photos are of. <laughs> so, Maplethorpe does beautiful black and white photography, and his focus for this show, at least, was on homosexual men. And mm. it was explicit. Yeah, I was um, I was in this bookstore in Providence, and they had a book of his photography, and it was all, like, celebrity portraits, all black and white. Very beautiful stuff. There was, like, one with beautiful contrast. And then I get to the back of the book and there's like the, about the author. And yep. there's, there's Robert buck freaking naked with a bullwhip in one of the orifices. Uh, you, you see where I'm going, where the bullwhip is inserted. Uh, uh, he was holding it in place with one hand. And with the other hand, he's got like the clicker for the automatic shutter on his camera. And yep. that's, that's his about the author picture. So, yeah. Look, man, you want to make an impact, especially if people are, people are going to be just jumping right past that picture. So you yeah. got to keep them on that back flap. That's how <laughs> you do it. I think his compositions are beautiful. Admittedly, I find that the idea of such stark black and white pictures as erotic is funny because I don't think they are. I think they're ridiculous. My favorite part of this is, is you know, the potential that you could do like a really funny pop-up book. <laughs> the Robin Don't Maple open the middle page. Don't open the middle page. <laughs> The Robert Maplethorpe pop-up book. It's the name of my next punk rock band. Uh, next up on July the 21st of 1924, American comedian Don Knotts. Uh, I know him from The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff. I mean, I mean uh, you can argue what he's most famous for, either on The Andy Griffith Show as Barney Fife, or late in his career on Three's Company as Mr. Furley. I think he was on Andy Griffith for longer. That show ran for a million years, it seemed like. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to guess like it's a generational thing, like who would know him from what. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably yeah, true. super super funny guy. You know, always played like a like a almost like a pipsqueak kind of like coward. Like whenever he was on the Andy Griffith show, he used to keep the bullets for his gun in his pocket rather than in his gun. He, he didn't want any part of it. I remember him, like I said, from the Ghost of Mr. Chicken and the Shakiest Gun in the West. He had like a career doing sort of I don't know if they were Disney live action movies, but they were like some of them were, were yeah. kid oriented. Some of them were right, yeah, like kid oriented um, live action movies that were funny, yeah, like the Apple Dumpling Gang and stuff like that. He also I, I remember his last film was. 
Pleasantville, where he played the sort of wish-granting TV repairman. That he was like 94 years old or something when he was in that, and he he's the one who got all the characters into the Pleasantville TV show. Right. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. I think I saw that, or at least it sounds familiar to me. Yeah. And he was good yeah, at it. Too. And there was a lot of movies that they used to show on, like on the UHF stations, like The Ghost of Mrs. Chicken, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, where he played a, a cartoon fish. Yes. Who like destroys a German submarine? Yeah. yeah fun. Fun guy. You can't. You can't help but uh, but not like the guy. That's that's one of those people. It's like, oh, I don't like Don Knotts. It's like, shut up. You're being difficult. All right, let's move on to July the 22nd, 1959. Ed Wood's opus, Plan 9 from Outer Space Movie, is released in cinemas. I like Ed Wood's movies. You know, I think they're nuts, but they're really fun. Did a lot with not much. Yeah. So Towards the beginning of the pandemic, my friends and I started doing what I called virtual movie nights. Yep. We would all watch the same movie at the same time, and then we would make a bunch of jokes about it in the text window. Yep. It started out with just like my haunted house friends, but then I ended up opening it up to like to everybody, and we watched like a lot of movies, and we would try to watch kind of bad movies because they were more fun to make fun of. Mm-hmm. And Plan 9, from Outer Space was actually on that list. Now, Plan 9 from Outer Space is absolutely legendary in B-movie history, but somehow I had never seen it. You know what? It wasn't the worst movie I had ever seen. It wasn't even the worst movie that we watched with the virtual movie nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah Lives of Lamageddon. Uh, <laughs> no, um, there's a reason that this movie is pegged as the worst movie ever, and it's because it was in a book by one of the film critics that took over the show, sneak previews from Siskel and Ebert when they went off to do At The Movies. Yeah. And I can't remember his name. It might have been in Leonard Malton. Um, I think it was Leonard Malton in Leonard Malton's book. It was like a book of called The Golden Turkeys, yeah. and this was the film that he classified as the golden turkey, the worst film ever made. And in like 1980, when that book came yeah. out, it's, it, there was no home video market. It never showed up on TV unless it was like super late at night on like a, a horror hosted TV show. You know what yep. I mean? So people were like, yeah, it's the worst movie ever made. And then it started coming out on home video. I actually bought, I think I paid 90 bucks to buy it on, on VHS what? when VHSs were first starting to be sold because I wanted to see it. And it was one of the ones that was available. Yep. I, I had to order it from the video oh store. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah I'm crazy that yep. way. Uh, Fool and his money was soon parted. And I bought it. I'm like, all right, this kind of sucks and it looks like it was made for no money it's pretty funny seeing as the movie is in public domain and they can't you shouldn't actually be able to charge for it in the first place right and, and i was like all right well this is kind of dumb and but i've seen like movies that are less entertaining than this oh, right. that had better special effects or whatever like it's known for a bunch of goofy shit like <laughs> Bella Lugosi died after only shooting some some like B-roll footage, right. so they replaced his character with the chiropractor of the director's wife, <laughs> who was like a foot taller. Yeah, he's like head and shoulders taller than Lugosi, right? And he walks around with a cape in front of his face for the whole film. It's like there's some goofy stuff in there, but for all the for all the goofiness that's in it, like it's it's super entertaining and very weird and fun. You know, I'm glad I knew that piece of trivia about the movie whenever I saw it of the chiropractor taking his place and covering his face up with his you know like he's sneezing or something i'm glad i knew that piece of trivia because i would not have figured out that that's supposed to be the same character <laughs> yeah well i mean like if you remember like the, the way lugosi like his his pictures is him coming out of his house yeah and him like walking out of the woods with his cape on and, but when he comes out of the house he's got a big hat yeah you know and a, like a shawl and then he's like smells a flower and that's that's really it that's all that's there he died not long after that you know my, my favorite like goof about that movie is there's no linear time. Like, some of it takes place 
in the afternoon. Some of it takes yeah. place at dusk. Some of it takes place at night, but not necessarily in that order. There's so many like little goofy things that are in there, like gravestones falling over yeah. as Tor Johnson's trying to get out of the grave, and the police inspector who scratches his head with his <laughs> right with his pistol. <laughs> stuff that stuff that's just dumb. But done because it's done like we've got to get this this thing filmed. I only have $500 and every minute is costing me $10. Like I have to like make this happen. Can't be unfinished because I can't ask the – it was a bunch of uh, like a Baptist church that financed that movie. I can't go back and ask them for any more money because they're going to make me change the plot again. And I can't do that, you know. The plan itself, the plan nine – from outer space is so convoluted it doesn't make any sense it's like it makes you wonder right, what right. plans one through eight were like right 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 what, what did you say no to plan number one uh remote controlled hamsters Ugh, that's too difficult plan number two sand crabs <laughs> by the bucket full no plan nine controlling the dead yes all right, next up on July the 23rd, 1771, a man by the name of Robert Gibbon Johnson, a much more masculine name than uh, than Percy, apparently. I like that his middle name is Gibbon. Yeah, like a big killer monkey. <laughs> so what did Robert Gibbon Johnson do? Uh, so Robert Gibbon Johnson is a American horticulturist. Ah, uh, horticulture. You can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think. Uh, <laughs> he, according to legend, ate a tomato in front of the New Jersey courthouse, shocking onlookers. And Because at that time, people thought tomatoes were poisonous. Yeah, so he was like right out in front of this like crowd of onlookers. And he just like bit into this tomato and ate it and was like, see, you big dumbasses. And uh, apparently a woman actually screamed and fainted at the sight of him eating a poisonous tomato. What was with people in the seventh, like the late 18th century? We, we had the same problem with top hats. <laughs> you see a big hat and it's like pandemonium breaks loose. Like it's a dude with a tomato. I wish this guy would show up and just eat one in front of my daughter, Margaret, because she doesn't like tomato sauce anymore. It's hard to make spaghetti at my house because she doesn't like tomatoes. But I don't know that she thinks that they're poisonous. <laughs> you know, don't think that we're any better now. There is plenty of cuckoo bananas BS that people buy right into because oh i read it on the internet i just heard one on a phone call on one of the shows that i listened to that was talking about a giant black snake that circles the planet jeff a giant black snake oh yes it's crazy time i'm gonna wonder like how this news because there's clearly there's no internet in 1750 or 1780 or 1810 or whatever so it would have been like well i heard from you know mrs hubbins down the road that her sister-in-law, you know, her sister-in-law, Mrs. Other Hubbins, <laughs> knows a friend who ate a tomato and she grew a third arm. Really? Wow. When did that happen? I'm not sure, but it was probably months ago and hundreds of miles from here. Wow. Sounds like gospel. And then it just goes from there and pretty soon tomatoes make you crazy and, and are poisonous. I would have started the room with the tomatoes are deadly the second I saw one of those freaking tomato worms. <laughs> <laughs> I would have started the rumor that you're supposed to eat the worm first. Oh. Bastard. <laughs> All right, before I throw up in my mouth, that brings us to... The worst song ever. All right, what do we have? Who is a contender this week for the worst song ever? The worst song ever, uh, 1977. Number one, number one this week, and it began, it started a 10-week run at number one last week. Yeesh. But it was, it's number one, yes, Yeesh is right. It is number one in 1977. A song filled with so much saccharin that two verses in, the lab rats started to die. <laughs> the song is You Light Up My Life, uh, not written by, but performed by Spawn of Pat Boone, uh, Debbie Boone, Oof. who was young. Yeah, she was a young lady. Very nice voice. Definitely 
made the song more religious than it was before. Yeah, well, the, when it was used as the title song of a TV movie or something. No, it was a movie. Yeah, it was a movie. Um, was it a movie, movie? It was a movie movie called "You Light, you Light Up My Life," and yes. uh, it starred uh, the Who. It's not the Who. <laughs> the, the The song itself was written by a guy named Joseph Brooks, and it was re- ah. originally recorded by Oh boy, this this girl has a very Russian name. It looks like somebody dropped a Scrabble bag on the ground. It's <laughs> probably probably pronounces it. It sounds like somebody crinkling up aluminum foil. Yes, uh, it's Casey yeah. Sizik. Sizik, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say Sizik. Um, I don't know. I can't see the letters, so I'll take your word for uh, it. Uh, it. It was a you know the song and a film of the same name. You led it my life, and it was lip synced mm-hmm. in the movie by Didi Khan, who you, oh. yeah, who you would or you or your listeners would uh, you and the listeners would know as Frenchie from the movie Grease. From Grease and, and yep. Grease too. Um, and I, th- I think she was also on Shining Time Station. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Go yeah. So Go, going back until so, the little kid. Yep. Me. So it was a uh, it was a romance movie, and Didi Khan sings the song to her love interest in the movie. Uh, and then uh, Debbie Boone was like, "Hey, that's a really pretty song. I think I'm going to cover it." Except now it's about Jesus. If the if the love in- I've never seen the film, but I'm going to wonder if the love interest that she had in that was like a six inch tall. Either Ringo Starr or George Carlin. <laughs> I <laughs> I don't have that answer. <laughs> oh, because well, those were the conductors on Shining Time oh, Station. Right. So. Okay. <laughs> I, I, oh, connections, Bill. Connections. Who? High numbers. <laughs> the high numbers. Uh, okay. Another famous cover version was by yeah, your so this, your friend of mine, Whitney Houston. We should let's play a clip. Yes, brace yourselves. And you. I, this um, is nothing it, I want to listen to ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess it's. I, I mean, it's seventy-seven, so I guess it's different than disco. Right. It's that weird ballady thing. It's, it's not dance song. It's something that you could, you know, you're having the uh, picture yourself behind the wheel of a, of a large automobile station wagon. A very large automobile, country squire station yeah. wagon. Gas is at eighty-nine cents a gallon now. You know, you've just smoked your last pack of Terrytons and you're on your way to the store to get another carton before somebody get your husband gets home and all you want to do is like just eat some eat some mill towns and go to bed but tv dinners have to be made and the kids were up all night watching the the atari tv games and there on the radio comes debbie boone and and your whole life is better because you can croon along with her at maximum volume yeah i you know i don't know i can't imagine that that would fix anything you know, but we, you know that's how i how I we it. kind of like covered this uh, before the problem with 1970s music is that you know pop music uh, or radio music or whatever now or YouTube music yeah. whatever popular music now the demographic is generally 14 to 20 year old girls you know that's that's yes. your yeah, that's your target demographic in the 70s it seemed to be like 35 to 45 uh, housewives was it seemed to be the yeah demographic. It, and that's yep that seems to be about. That's that seems like it and is. That too. seems like what they and were shooting with. This here, is where yeah. the dreaded, 
This is where the dreaded, you know, the category of adult contemporary, where there was a big crossover from adult contemporary into pop music just about every week. Okay, you want to hear what yeah. hell is like? Okay, juxtapose the 90s with the 70s, okay? Now, instead of every girl who thinks they can sing getting up at karaoke and singing Four Nong Blondes, What's Up, by the way, that'll be covered okay. sometime soon. Now they're all getting up and singing You Light Up My Life. <laughs> yes. Um, nah, yep. we're good. I don't have to imagine yep. that. <laughs> Let's that's, forget about that's it. Hell. That, so, that's hell. That's a bowl of Funyuns. Ten weeks on the charts yeah. for this song. So. Yeah, two and a half months of Yeah, saccharin is Like strong. I said, I mean, and then the FDA I never it. want to hear this song again. And people were just like going out and buying it in droves. They couldn't get enough of it. Well, that's that's 1977 yeah, well. for you. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. They probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well. And if you don't like this week's episode, there'll be one next week and it'll probably be better. <laughs>